Support for Innovation Hub comes from Mimecast. Nearly 30,000 companies worldwide use Mimecast to help prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, phishing, and impersonation attacks. Mimecast, committed to making email safer for business. Mimecast.com. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. You don't have to go far to find an article or a TV segment about brain food. Plus, you know, your mom's got ideas, your friends have suggestions, people have little tidbits to offer on what kids should eat before the SATs or what you should down before a big presentation. But can food really make you smarter or at least help you perform better? Economist Justin Gallagher tried to study just that using tens of thousands of kids, all of whom had just one thing in common, their schools provided school lunches. He and two colleagues started doing the research in part because of a 2010 law called the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. And the motivation of this law was, in fact, to uh, ratchet up the nutritional standards of public school lunches at public schools in the U.S. And all of the discussion that we had seen in the media at the time really centered around the potential health benefits of improved school lunches. Uh, Not without merit, as we know, there's an obesity epidemic uh, among kids in the U.S., And uh, everything that we saw focused on this potential health benefit of having more nutritious school lunches. What we thought was missing from the discussion was a potential uh, direct effect, a second effect, which would be an improvement on learning and on academic achievement among uh, students in the schools that offered healthier lunches. Gallagher is a professor at Case Western Reserve University, and he ended up with some striking and surprising findings. First off, healthy lunches do have an impact. What we did is we took five years of -of end-of-year academic test score data on every single student at public schools in California, and we wanted to see if those test scores improved during years when the schools that they attended offered healthier school lunches, and we found that indeed they did. California ranks the healthiness of their school lunches, and Gallagher watched as test scores changed in a given school district, depending on what vendor was used that year. What's the upside for a healthy lunch? About four percentile points. So imagine that on your state standardized test, your child usually rings in at about the 80th percentile. Well, on average, a healthier lunch could boost him or her to the 84th percentile. It's not stunning, but if you could get your kid from a 68 to a 72 without a whole lot of extra effort, that's an offer that many parents would take. And Gallagher says it's a pretty inexpensive way of raising achievement. So, for example, a common benchmark among measuring changes in something at the school and how that correlates with student performance is a study that looked at what happened uh, due to a one-third reduction in uh, the number of students in a classroom. So a very large reduction in the student-to-teacher ratio. And uh, they found a much larger effect on test scores, as you would expect, teachers being uh, the most important input for student learning. But it was very expensive to implement this policy. And so if we look at, even though we found a much smaller effect, uh, absolute effect on um, test scores due to a change in um, the the nutritional content of school lunches, if we looked at it from a cost-effectiveness perspective, it's about five times more cost-effective than these larger interventions such as dramatic reductions in uh, the teacher-to-student ratio. But the study wasn't quite as simple as eat better, do better on tests. Though that was certainly a finding, and actually kids on free and reduced lunch did even better than kids who paid for their lunch. They saw a 5 to 6 percentile jump versus 4 for kids not on free and reduced lunch. But here's the twist. 
Though you'd hope and you'd think that giving kids healthier lunches would reduce obesity rates, the lunches just didn't seem to do that. Once we had those results, we were a bit puzzled at first, but we think one likely explanation is there's calorie targets in place by the National School Lunch Program that all uh, lunches are are supposed to meet. So that's whether or not the lunches are prepared by um, school workers in-house or by the companies and uh, prepared and served by these outside companies. On average, they're all supposed to be serving the same number of calories to the students. So it's really not uh, the number of calories that's changing, but it's the type of calories. And so one possibility could be that if the number of, uh, the total number of calories that are being consumed by these kids isn't changing that much, that it might take a long time to see any effect on health, or it might not even have any effect on health based solely on changing the school lunches. Getting kids to eat healthy was, of course, one of the signature initiatives of former First Lady Michelle Obama. But the Trump administration has made steps to relax rules on school lunches. Here's Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue back in May talking about their plans. USDA is taking the step of providing flexibility around whole grain percentages. We're at 50 percent now. There was a thought of going to 100 percent. That's found to be rather problematic in the the procurement, as I indicated. Also in the stringent sodium steps uh, going forward there. We're not going to leave it level one for this next year and see how that works. And then also the the thing that I heard the most, and I can identify with this because uh, I wouldn't be as big as I am today without chocolate milk. And the kids told me that the the flavored milk, which was limited to non-fat, was not as uh, tasty as they would like. So we're allowing 1% uh, flavored milk in in our school lunch program. Gallagher watched the secretary's speech, and he's been following the policy changes. In his view, the data just doesn't support the steps that the administration is taking. It's exactly the wrong thing to be doing, that if anything, we should be continuing to push forward and, and, and ratchet up the nutritional standards. One argument that I've read for why um, we might want to roll back and relax some of the policies that were put into place under the national law is that there could be an unintended consequence, as the secretary alluded to, of having the food be less tasty to the kids and therefore having fewer kids choose to eat the school lunches. So potentially under the National School Lunch Program, which was initially set up uh, to help undernourished kids, there could be this unintended effect of having the kids that we would like to help choose to uh, forego the lunches because they just uh, they don't taste good and, and have this negative um, consequence. However, we looked at this, and in our study, we have information on the number of school lunches that are sold at each school. And we don't find any evidence that when schools go to healthier school lunch providers that the number of school lunches sold goes down. So we think that at least where um, the standards are now, and again, what we're defining as healthier school lunches are already above the standards that the secretary is talking about relaxing, that having standards set above what's in place doesn't seem to uh, decrease the number of lunches sold. So we think there's still opportunity to continue to go in the other direction and improve the nutrition of the school lunches. Justin Gallagher is an economics professor at Case Western Reserve University and a co-author of the study School Lunch Quality and Academic Performance, along with Michael Anderson and Elizabeth Ramirez-Ritchie, both from the University of California, Berkeley. We'll have a link to their research on our website, innovationhub.org.
If you want to subscribe to our podcast so you can hear us every week, even when you're away from your radio, we're on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1